Faith Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the second Sunday in Lent for the week of March 5th, 2023, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and I'm excited because I feel as we are digging into this Lenten season and as I'm preparing and trying to figure out podcasts and how do we approach Lent, the difficult thing with it and the exciting thing in the same breath is it's such a personal journey. It's such a time where we're introspective, but it also allows us the opportunity to be introspective as a community. And so this means that we get into spaces that are more similar to what we would be thinking about as these big problems within science. Sometimes the problems in which that we're dealing with aren't necessarily super concrete. That's where we have people who deal within the theoretical and the ideas to be able to, if theoretically, if this is happening, how then do we try to pursue to see if this is actually what is happening? And I think that's a place and a moment to be able to pause and really reflect. And it's one of the things within the scientific field itself that I really enjoy is that we're tackling these big and challenging problems. And I think when it comes to our faith in a lot of ways, it's the same way. It's one of the things that we all enjoy is, yes, we believe in this thing, but we don't understand all of it. And that's part of the journey of faith. We're trying to get our heads around more and more of this part thing of faith itself, the story of faith and what does this all mean and how does this affect me as an individual, but more importantly, how does this affect us as a community? And I think that's what's intriguing and that's some of the beauty of Lent. So let's just jump into the question that we had for last week. When was the last time that you trusted that God was in the instinct instead of overthinking? One of the other ways I put it this last week was, when was the last time you trusted that God was in your instinct instead of overthinking? And I think this is kind of the conflux of where we're at a lot of times. In a lot of ways, this is kind of where science kind of plays in also. This idea of when do we sit down and really contemplate and dig deep? And when do we just trust that God is working? And so often for us, we want to be the deep thinker. We value the deep thinker within especially Western society. We value that deep thought. But heck, we look back and think about like Aristotle and all these great thinkers We like the idea of that, but we also have to realize that there are moments, there are times, there are places where it makes more sense to allow God to enter in instead of us getting wrapped up in all of it. And when we're looking at specifically last week, the temptation of Jesus, in those moments, you can see it wasn't a thought. Jesus was just allowing God to enter in, allowing the character of who God is to move through Jesus. And I wonder how often we actually allow that to happen in our own lives, that we're so caught up in trying to process everything that it doesn't allow us to move forward. And it's funny because when we're looking at that for last week and we just compose it along this week's, it's almost the opposite, but also the same. And you'll see that when we get to filling in this week, because it's that conflux of when do we wait 
and think and allow the Holy Spirit to move in? And when do we just get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit immediately answer and then we figure out where that's leading? And I think that's kind of the fun part of Lent when we're really in these challenging moments. So let's just jump into it. The Old Testament text for this week is out of Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 to 4a. So as we've talked about before, this is kind of the part of Genesis where we start having more of the historical account. So the first 11 chapters are a little bit more poetry. This then becomes a little bit more of the historical aspect of it. And this is where you have the Lord calling to Abram and is stating that there is going to be this great nation is going to bless these people and the family that Abram will have. And so this is kind of the laying out of that. We have to remember Abram at this point isn't necessarily a super young man and he doesn't have any children. And we will find as you kind of continue here, the person that he is closest with, Sarai, is again an older woman who is barren. So it's also kind of this inverting of ideas of what is valued, especially in this community, that they're going to be building a great nation, this great family, and yet here he chooses people that are seen to be too old to have children. The psalm this week is Psalm 121, all eight verses of it. And this is a praise psalm through and through. One of the more popular lines is verse one, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The first two verses there. This idea that the Lord is guiding us. The Lord is there. The Lord is protecting us. But it's also in that we have to remember it's the acknowledgement and realizing that this is all coming from the Lord. This isn't necessarily person A or person B doing this. It's the acknowledgement of the Lord is working through person A or through person B, recognizing what God is actually doing. The New Testament text then is from Romans chapter 4 verses 1 to 5 and 13 through 17. This picks up and builds upon what we read here in the Old Testament reading in Genesis. But it's this idea then of why are we remembering Abraham? Is it because of all the great things that Abraham did? No. It's what God was doing through him. We aren't boasting then in ourselves. We're boasting in the spirit that was through us. We're recognizing that it's God, it's the Holy Spirit that is working through us and is allowing us to do all these amazing things for what God is seeing fit. This idea and the promise of what God is trying to stir up. And this is then where we're playing. It's this recognition of God works through us and it's much bigger and broader than we could have ever imagined. The gospel this week, we have two alternative gospels and that's always fun. So the first gospel that I will say is probably more likely used and you'll see why here in a second is from John chapter three, verses one through 17. This is where we have the Pharisee Nicodemus meeting with Jesus by the cloak of night, which means that Nicodemus wasn't necessarily wanting to be seen by everybody, but was very curious about what Jesus was doing. And they have this discussion and recognizing that he is a teacher that has come from God, but he, how do you recognize if this is God or not? 
And Jesus responds with, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And Nicodemus then is, how can one be born after growing old? Coming from verse 4, can anyone enter a second time into their mother's womb? And so we get this idea here of very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. And so the water and spirit, they're more water being, looking at it not from a baptism perspective, but more from a human perspective, a flesh perspective. And as we've talked about before, how much of our bodies is actually made up of water. But then also from the spirit perspective, this God perspective, the the connection that we have with God. And Nicodemus just keeps going because Jesus is saying, you know, must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound, but you don't know where it comes from. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. And Nicodemus is just confused. And Jesus kind of has a moment, I feel, of humanity coming through in verse 10. Are you a teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? And it continues on and looking backwards and recognizing what God has done for the people of Israel, like Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness to help them. And that's a whole other story, but where Moses lifted a serpent on a rod to help them with poisonous snakes. And thus, the Son of Man must be lifted up to bring eternal life. And the most famous passage within this is verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. And I think verse 17 is also very important. Indeed, God did not send a son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So Nicodemus being curious and Jesus trying to lay out something and have Nicodemus be able to understand, but yet how hard it is for Nicodemus at this moment. And as we continue through John, you see that Nicodemus starts to put more of the pieces together but how hard it is for Nicodemus at this moment to understand. The other alternative gospel this week is out of Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. This is a gospel we literally had just a few weeks ago. This is the transfiguration. So you have the quick summary. Jesus brings Peter, James, and John up the mountain. He transfigures and shows in his bright light, and alongside them becomes Moses and Elijah. Peter then says, We should build three dwellings, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus. While this is happening, a bright cloud covers the mountain and it is bright and they hear God say, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. The disciples heard this. They fall to the ground. They're overcome by fear when they're able to pick up their head because Jesus says, Get up and do not be afraid. And Jesus is the only one there. As they're starstruck as they walk down the mountain, Jesus tells them, tell no one about this vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So, before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do a shameless plug for Working Preacher. If you haven't joined Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between the Sermon Brainwaves podcast, the commentaries, the discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help give me some different perspective, give some different commentaries. 
Plus, they have an amazing archive of different data, along with some awesome discussions that are going on over there. So if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. I'd also highly recommend checking out the revised common lectionary coming from Vanderbilt Divinity Library. I like using them on a weekly basis on how they lay out the text, but along with the art that we've talked about multiple times over, seeing those perspectives from throughout time, throughout space, throughout our world is so amazing. Along with prayers, hymns, liturgical colors. If you haven't checked out the revised common lectionary coming from Vanderbilt Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that also. As we kind of talked about in the introduction this week, Lent is this moment where we're really doing some deep reflection, and that can be hard, that can be uncomfortable, but it's also necessary. And this last week, as I was planning for this podcast, I ran across a discussion talking about a fresh perspective for science, but Shonda Prescott-Weinstein who is a theoretical cosmologist and particle physicist at the University of New Hampshire. And it's a really, really good discussion. I'll attach it in the show notes down below. But I really liked what she talked about at about 10 minutes and 15 seconds into this interview, and it's about for 15, 20 seconds. But she talks about that science is about handling difficult questions. And that the big part of science is being confused and then we're trying to figure things out, but it's okay to be confused. And how often within Western society, especially, that's seen as weakness, that isn't necessarily seen as an attribute of a good thing of being confused. And I think that's a great way of looking at it. How often we don't allow ourselves to be confused. We don't allow ourselves to open up in that way to be able to understand something in a new and fresh perspective. And perspective, even within science, is somewhat biased because we're human. But it's also when we're able to allow a fresh perspective to come in, that's what is so important to be able to understand something more deeply. One of the things that we've talked about again on this podcast before, but I think it's really important, especially if you haven't spent a ton of time within the sciences, is thinking about how a scientific paper is written. One of the last sections that is written is the discussion section. And the discussion section is allowing the group of scientists or scientists to talk about their experiment in a much deeper way thinking about things that maybe went right, things that went wrong, things that went in ways they didn't expect. But a big part of the discussion section is thinking about perspective. It's thinking about things and what are things that aren't accounted for or things that could go differently or things that haven't been thought about. And so in certain ways, it's taking a step back And going back to the beginning of the experiment before you even did it. And trying to imagine and vision what are things that aren't answers that we probably would like answers to. It reiterates the thing that I've stated time and time and time again. That any good experiment brings up five more good questions after it. It may answer one but give you another five. And that's part of it. Also down in the show notes this week, there is this really good article from Scientific American. And one of the things as I was reading through and they were kind of talking about 
how point of view affects science. And one of the things that they talked about was when we think of chimpanzee studies, the person that we think of is Jane Goodall. But in reality, most behavioral studies within primates have been conducted by men. And so one of the things that has happened is as women have slowly come into this more and more studying of primate behavior, they start recognizing that the men had a specific point of view and were looking at things in a specific way. Whereas then women are saying you're overlooking a section and then we're able to provide a different viewpoint. Let me give you an example. I'm going to read this in from Scientific American. Male primatologists generally adopt Charles Darwin view on evolutionary biology and focused on competition among males for access to females. In this view, female primates are passive and are either the winning male has access to all the females or females simply choose the most powerful male. The idea that females play a more active role and might even have a have sex with many males did not receive attention until female biologists began to do field observations. Why did they see it when men missed it? Quote, when say a female lemur or bodo dominated a male or a female langer left her group to solicit strange males, a female field worker might be more likely to follow, watch, and wonder than dismiss such behavior as a fluke, wrote anthropologist Sarah Hardy. Her interest in maternal reproductive strategies grew from her empathy with her study subjects. The article continues to go on how also cultural differences and how Japanese primatologists looked at the society and the culture of what primates were doing differently compared to the American counterparts. And this, I think, provides an interesting perspective and an interesting way of looking at perspective. We have to remember that one of the things that we're kind of locked into in certain ways is we have been born and to this point raised and it's with the specific viewpoints and we make certain assumptions. The beautiful thing about society as a whole is it gives us the opportunity when living in community to potentially open up our understanding and viewpoint of what is going on from a different vantage point and opening up our ideas on what community and what aspects of community might be highlighted or dismissed. When Nicodemus is coming to meet with Jesus in the third chapter of John, Nicodemus has been raised and seen as this is what a Pharisee does, and this is what we do, and thus this is the box that God is in. When Jesus starts posing these questions that are opening up the box to who Jesus is and what God as a whole is all about, it's very difficult at this moment, because yes, as I stated earlier, Nicodemus does open up his viewpoint as time goes along. But at this moment, Nicodemus is wrestling with the idea of of what Jesus is putting down. It doesn't seem plausible. It doesn't seem possible. Like, what does this all mean? When we look at the Matthew text and Peter, James, and John, Peter reacts in a way 
that makes sense. There's these people here. Let's stay here, as we kind of talked about a couple weeks ago. Let's stay here and live in this moment. But in a way, you could also see it as this is the only way that Peter can grapple with what weirdness is going on in front of him. And yet, we still kind of get after the back end of this, the shell shock of what is actually going on here. Think about Abram in Genesis being told, okay, you're going to have this great country. Yeah, this great nation, this great country that God is going to raise up coming from me, who is a barren guy. I haven't had any kin of my own, and I'm old. Like what We see this in other stories within Genesis dealing with Abram. This idea of what God's perspective is and what our perspective is don't always align. And this makes it difficult for us when God is laying out, this is how things are, or this is how things are moving. And we can't see it because we're struggling with the first aspect of it. Think in our own lives, how much has changed even in the last five years? Because the last time this gospel came around was weeks before the pandemic really took off here in the United States. There was pockets that were starting in the Seattle area. And if you want kind of a blast of the past, I recommend, yes, go back and listen to Working Preacher from three years ago. Or go back and heck, even listen to my stuff from three years ago. Working Preacher is advertising a conference as part of it that I know doesn't happen. They're talking about different ideas and way to do this. And we recognize by the end of Lent, they're not going to be able to have Reader's Theater with these texts. If you had told them at that moment of what was about to come, would they believe it? COVID-19 is something that was going on over in East Asia. It's not something, it's barely getting going here. You're telling me that the world is going to shut down. The perspective of what that would have meant and how difficult that information would have been to understand because the perspective of where we were at at that moment did not align with where we are now. Looking back now, we can see the flaws of what was going on. We can understand better what is going on. The aspect of what Jesus is laying out to Nicodemus or what we see in the Matthew text or heck, even what is talked about in Romans, it's not about, as Paul is stating, it's not about what Abraham did. It's that God was working through Abraham. This idea then of God's perspective is more encompassing than our own. And we have to be okay with grappling with that. We have to be okay with that. There are times it's going to seem really hard. It's going to seem difficult. It's going to seem impossible. And yet it's because we aren't necessarily seeing it from the right perspective. We can't see the whole picture or we're viewing it in a negative light because things are rough and God's trying to say, no, there is a positive here. And if you were seeing it in a positive light, you'd be able to see it better. One of the things that I really enjoy about the discussion with Shonda Prescott Weinstein is her talking about as being a female who is within the queer community, who is African-American. There is plenty of things where she has been stigmatized. And talking about how there are certain things at times that even within her own work, I bring a unique perspective to the table 
and make sure that my perspective is at least acknowledged. Make sure that we're acknowledging this perspective and realizing that this is an idea. It, it gets into that whole, like we talked about with primates, being able to look at it from a different set of eyes because we come from a different perspective. We come through and we all have experienced life differently, giving us perspectives on this thing called life that allows us then to look at the bigger and broader context of it all. Realizing that there are times that we're not necessarily going to understand all of it. And heck, even when we start laying out understanding, there might be times where we don't realize the impact of what we are doing. As Shonda Prescott Weinstein discussed, there is no way that Albert Einstein, when he came up with his theories of relativity, realized that his theories, and as they continued to show that yes, there is more and more support for them, that those would be used on a daily basis by a lot of people because all of us enjoy using features like Google Maps and they use calculations in that from Einstein's theory of relativity to help us get the directions to where we're going and the estimated time it's going to take for us to get there. Are we open enough to the different perspectives as God lays them out? Are we open to new and unique perspectives within our own lives? These are questions that we should be asking and allowing us, and especially as we're in this Lenten journey and trying to understand deeper what this faith actually means, what it actually means to have somebody that loves us this dearly who is willing to go through what Jesus will go through in this Lenten season for us. What does that actually mean? And being willing and able to hear unique and different perspectives to allow us to grow as a community, as a faith community, is powerful. So the question I have for you this week is, when have you allowed a new perspective into your life that allowed yourself to change? When have you allowed a new perspective into your life that allowed yourself to change? Because the change is even the acknowledgement sometimes of it being a possibility and giving it some actual thought. Being okay with us sitting in the wonder and not knowing. It's being curious. It's being adventurous. It's allowing yourself to not know and that's okay. And sometimes that's really hard for us. Really hard for us. But I think that's a beauty too. Think about when you were a younger child and there were times you didn't understand everything and that was okay. It encouraged you to go out and explore. It encouraged you to go out and try. It encouraged you to take a leap of faith to see what that was all about. In this Lenten season, I think that's part of what this is all about. We can't understand all of this thing called faith because the moment that we try figuring out and we feel that we figured out a little bit, there's so much more that we just don't understand. But it encourages us to keep going deeper and keep trying to mess around with and play with it and figure out what this means. Instead of being so hard-lined with how things have been and this is the way that things always will be and should be, are we allowing ourselves the curiosity to figure out, well, maybe there's a new, different and unique perspective on way of taking this in? Maybe we did this and it served its time and its purpose and it's, way to, it's time to put this away for a while and try something new. Take on a new idea, a new perspective 
on how to do something. I know within my faith life, it's something that I enjoy taking on new perspectives, trying new things, realizing that in doing that, it expands my faith and expands the way of how I look at faith. In church, I sure hope that you're doing the same thing. Because as a scientist, I was trained to wonder. I was trained to take on new perspectives. I was trained to be willing and open to new and fresh ideas and to acknowledge them and wonder about them and not necessarily just strike them down. We have to be able to do that as a church, as a world, and not just ridicule when we don't understand. Jesus still tries to help Nicodemus understand. As we see through John, walks with Nicodemus some. As Nicodemus slowly puts pieces together. Church, we need to do the same. We as individuals need to do the same. Just because we don't understand something doesn't mean we just give up. And just because a new perspective is different than what you've thought about before doesn't mean you just throw it away. Because if we did that, there's so much that we wouldn't have learned. There's so much about who we understand God to be and how this whole thing of science and life works we wouldn't understand if we all took the initial hypothesis that someone came up with. We have to be acknowledging to other perspectives. And sometimes that's really difficult. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.